Hey, you know, throughout this Christmas season, we are going to work our way through a series of messages that I have simply called God with us. Because that is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? God with us. Uh, You know, towards the middle of the last series that we were in, Warning Signs, I just felt like the Lord was directing me and and leading me to just kind of gear down in the month of December so that at least on Sundays through December we could unplug from all of the craziness that really comes in the month of December and just be still and know that He is God and that He is God with us. I don't know what this December brings to you and to your household But can I tell you, He is still God, and He is God with us today, in Jesus' name. Christmas is not about Black Friday. Christmas is not about malls and shopping. Christmas is not about gifts, naughty and nice. Christmas is not about gift exchanges and baking and Christmas trees and decorations. Christmas is not about Santa Claus and elves and sleighs. It's not about toys. Christmas is not about Scrooge, Grinch, Potter, Humbug. It's not about Tiny Tim. It's not about leg lamps. Some of you will get that. It's not about Clark. It's not about all of those things. It's not about... Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. It's not about Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Grandma's getting run over by a reindeer. (laughs) Christmas is not about a partridge in a pear tree. Christmas is about God with us. Amen. Christmas is a celebration of the day. When the eternal, everlasting, self-sufficient God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. And my prayer is that through this Christmas season, we can unplug from what the world says Christmas is all about. And remember that it is truly about God with us. Have you ever considered... Um, how you would have brought Jesus into the world. Have you ever considered if you were God the Father and you were about to send forth your only begotten Son and you had placed upon His shoulders the eternal plan of redemption and you had chosen Him to be the one through which you would reveal your invisible attributes to the world. And you were considering how to send him forth with maximum effectiveness and and touching the maximum amount of men and women, how you would have chosen to send him forth. I can almost guarantee you that the least creative person in this room would have never come up with the plan that God came up with. 
I, I believe it's safe to say that the least creative person in this room would have come up with something more dramatic, something more exciting, something more thrilling, something less controversial, more acceptable, more palatable to the taste of mankind than the pathway that God chose for His only begotten Son. I don't say that disrespectfully. I'm just saying that if you were given the choice of how to bring Jesus into the earth, it would have been much more flashy than what God chose. With our fascination with special effects and CGI and sound effects and soundtracks, we would have made his entrance into the world nothing more than the most awesome blockbuster that man had ever seen. It would have been spectacular, it would have been dramatic, it would have been an epic event. Can you imagine if God had asked Pastor Joe to orchestrate the coming of the Son, Jesus Christ? We would have orchestrated an event that would have eliminated any doubt as to who he was, where he came from, what he came to do, and what he required of all mankind. We would have put on such a dramatic event in bringing Christ into the earth that we would have eliminated the need for faith. And that's why we are not God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it in these ways. But God did not want to reveal himself in any way that would have made him a celebrity. But rather chose a way where he would be revealed as a servant. God with us. God did not want to appeal to us superficially. But he wanted to appeal to us relationally. God did not want us to be drawn to Him by His physical appearance or persona. He wanted us to be drawn to Him because of a moral beauty that resided deep within His heart. He wanted to reveal Himself as the God who touches, as the God who embraces, as the God who loves, and consequently, the God who can be touched, the God who can be embraced. And the God that can be loved. I'm sorry. <laughs> he came in the simplest, most unassuming manner that you and I could have ever imagined. He did not come in a way where he forced himself upon man. But rather revealed himself in such a way that he was available to anyone who would come to him. Now, some of you may not appreciate my assessment and say, well, I don't think that it was really quite that simple, Pastor Kurt. I mean, remember the angelic announcement of the birth of Christ to the shepherds. That was epic. And what about the wise men that devoted a significant amount of time to following the star because they wanted to worship him? And yes, I would say that those are dramatic events, and certainly they add to the story. But you would have to admit that even within those examples, very few, relatively speaking, actually paid any attention to them. I mean, think about it. There was no outbreak of revival fire in Bethlehem as a result of the angel's announcement. 
In fact, the only ones that we know heard the angels were the shepherds. No one else saw them or heard them. There was no citywide repentance in Jerusalem when the wise men finally arrived there and asked, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. The Bible actually tells us that King Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled with those words, which means they were afraid and they were anxious. Even though we as believers 2,000 years later can look upon this holy moment with awe and appreciate the wonder of it, then it barely caused a stir. It was hardly noticed. For all that we make of that day, and it was a significant day, don't misunderstand me, but for all that we make of it, relatively few people even knew that the Messiah had been born that day. But can I tell you, that there is hope within that. I was thinking about it this morning as I was going over these notes. It's amazing how your perspective changes the older that you get. Is that true? I mean, when I was a young man, of course, I was wrapped up in the pomp and the circumstance and the angels and the wise men and that dramatic presentation that you saw every year. That meant something to me. But the older that I get and I see how superficial our world is, I can appreciate the simplicity of the coming of Jesus Christ. There is a real treasure in his coming, being cloaked in obscurity and in normalcy. I mean, think about it. If Jesus had come in royalty, if it had been King Joseph rather than Carpenter Joseph, if it had been Queen Mary rather than Quiet Virgin Mary, if he had been born in a palace rather than a barn, if he had been laid in a crib rather than a feeding trough, if he had been wrapped in furs rather than swaddling clothes, if there had been a red carpet rather than hay strewn all over the floor, if his birth had been surrounded by the rich and the famous rather than just mom and dad in relative obscurity, then he would have been out of the reach of common men, ordinary men and women just like you and I detached from all of our struggles, all of our tears, all of our brokenness, all of our fears, all of our anxieties. But in coming in struggle, in coming in rejection, in coming in normalcy, He's God to everyone. He's God with us. Let us never forget, Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem because they had to pay their taxes. <laughs> They didn't have tax-exempt status because they were bringing the Messiah into the earth. And when they got to the hotel, they were told, we don't have any room for you. That's normal. <laughs> That's God coming down saying, I get it. God with us. God with us. Just think about that for a moment. Like I've been meditating on this the better part of a month and a half, maybe two months, because I knew that this was the direction that I wanted to go in this Christmas season. But just think about that for a moment. God with us. You know, as far as the four Gospels are concerned, Mark does not even touch on the birth of Jesus. Matthew and Luke... 
they look at it from a historical perspective. Only John looks at it from a theological perspective. Uh, John was not really concerned with the historical narrative as much as he was the the theological implications, what his birth meant, and, and how he was born. Listen to what he says in John 1, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but have you considered how John starts his gospel? It's the same way that the author of Genesis begins the Bible. In the beginning... Remember Genesis 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then here 5,000 years later, give or take, you've got John saying, in the beginning was the Word. Is that a coincidence? Of course not. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was intentionally drawing attention to the fact that Jesus was in the beginning already pre-existing before he was ever born. Yes, the man Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, but the eternal Son of God always existed. He had no beginning of days. He has no end of days. He is the eternal Son of the living God, veiled in flesh, revealed to you and I 2,000 years ago. So the baby that Mary was holding in her arms was in the beginning. He created the very process that he submitted himself to. All things were made through him. Notice it says, all things were made through him. Not all things were made by him, but all things were made through him. And there is a difference. Because if it was... He by all things were made by him, then it would give us the impression that there were things already pre-existing and that he simply rearranged them. But when it says that all things were made through him, it is saying that he took nothing and made it into something. That he was literally the force through which things began to exist. That there was absolutely nothing and he spoke it into existence. In fact, in verse number 4 it says that in him was life. Everything has its origin in Jesus Christ. I love how it says in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 2 through 3. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, I love that, I I love the word picture there, the brightness of his glory, actually you could say the outshining of his glory, you could even say the rays of his glory, and I love the word picture there, because when you and I, on a sunny morning, look up and we glance at the sun. We don't stare at the sun. That's not a good activity. We don't stare at the sun, but we glance at the sun. And, and when you look up and you see the sun, you're not seeing the sun. 
You are seeing the rays, the sun. You are seeing the outshining of the sun. They are revealing the glory, if you will, of the unseen sun. And in the same way, Jesus is the outshining, the rays of the invisible God. He is God, but He's revealing the invisible God to mankind. He says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. I love this because not only is Jesus the one whom through all was made, but now the Bible says that he's upholding all things by the power of his word. Everything in the universe today is being held together by the power of the word of the son of the living God almighty. And yet John says that this pre-existing, all-sustaining, all-sufficient creator became flesh and dwelt among us. That all of that power became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Many of you know that that was a prophetic word that was uttered some 700 years before Jesus was even born. It came from Isaiah 7 and verse number 14 where he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know that that means God with us. And now 700 years later, the stage was set for the fulfillment of that prophecy. And i got to tell you, I cannot think of a better occasion in which you would unveil Emmanuel, God with us, than the one God chose. You know the story well. It comes from Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18 that says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth the Son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. Boy, it's easy to follow the commands of the Lord when you know that God is with you. This was the setting of the fulfillment of the prophecy. And again, I don't know that any of us would have chosen this setting, but it was the setting that God chose. Joseph's world was about to be turned upside down, and that's putting it mildly. Joseph was a just man, undoubtedly. He had everything prepared for he and his wife to begin their journey as husband and wife together. And in this one moment, 
Absolutely his world was turned upside down. But it was in the midst of this confusion that it would be revealed God is with us. I don't know about anyone else here, but I think personally Joseph is the unsung hero of the Christmas story. Does anybody else feel that way? You know, like, I just, we don't know very much about Joseph, but Joseph just always seems to stand in the shadows of the Christmas story. Like, no one lines up for the part of Joseph in the Christmas play. Joseph just kind of stands in the shadows, and we get that. I mean, he's a, a father figure, and as one father too many fathers, isn't it true? I mean, we are the last person that people think about when a child is born. I mean... I'm not bitter, I'm not angry, like I'm not venting here this morning, but it's just the reality. We just are kind of an afterthought. Everybody's worried about mom, rightfully so, and everyone's worried about the baby, rightfully so, and everyone's congratulating the doctors and the nurses on a job well done, and dad's just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. I mean, it's just, we all are an afterthought, guys. We know very little about Joseph. In fact, he flashes before our eyes and before we know it, he is taken from the narrative and we're left with a lot of questions like, whatever happened to him? Outside of the Christmas story and the events surrounding that and that one other instance where Jesus was left behind and Joseph and Mary went to find him in his father's house, we really do not know anything else about Joseph. But... For those brief moments that we are shown Joseph, we know that he was a man of God. We know that he was a man of faith. Mary and Joseph were betrothed to one another. Betrothal, many of you know, was like engagement, but it was on steroids. Um, it, It was a legal, contractual marriage. In the eyes of God, when you were betrothed to one another, you were married. Now, they would not consummate their marriage for a year, but it was binding and could only be broken by either death or divorce. So, legally, in the eyes of God and man, you were married at the time of the betrothal. Now, many of you know that the betrothal lasted approximately one year, at which time the groom would be preparing for his future. He would go to his father's house, he would build on to the father's house, and would begin to make preparation for his soon-to-be bride, and they would go on with the rest of their life. And so, this is the period of time in which Mary found that she was with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. Presumably, again, and some of these things we're not sure of, but it would appear that she was already three months pregnant when Joseph found out. And he was devastated at the news. Obviously, he did not believe her story. That's why he wanted to divorce her privately. He was angry. He was confused. He questioned everyone. He questioned everything. All of his dreams literally just went up in smoke with one declaration. But what I love about it is because he is a just man, he wants to handle this lawfully but also wants to show grace to Mary. 
He does not want her to be reproached. She doesn't want her to be hurt in any way. As I understand it, there were really only two options that Joseph had at this particular time. Marriage was not an option in his mind. She was unfaithful during that betrothal period. And so marrying her was not an option. The only two options that he had left then were to, number one, drag her into a very public court hearing where he would prove that she had been unfaithful to him and absolutely humiliated her and destroyed her reputation, basically removing from her any opportunity of having a life in the future. Or there was a provision in the law that allowed him to deal with this divorce in a much more quiet and secretive manner in which he would only involve two or three witnesses so as preserving her honor and allowing her to go on with life. And he decided that the best course of action was to divorce her privately rather than humiliate her publicly. Boy, that tells you a lot right there about what kind of a man he was. He did not seek revenge. He did not want to retaliate. He did not want her to hurt as bad as he was hurting. He was willing to very privately walk away from this arrangement and allow her to go on with her life so that he could go on with his. But he was still troubled about it. The Bible just says that he was unsettled. Have you ever made a decision that you knew was the right decision, but still you were a little unsettled about it? And that's kind of the way it was with Joseph. He knew that this was the only option for him, but he was still unsettled. And I just have a feeling that he went home that night and he said, I know that given the hand I've been dealt, this is the best course of action, but something just doesn't seem right. I know Mary. I know her commitment to the Lord. I know her commitment to me. I know that she is better than this. I I just don't understand it. Something here doesn't make sense to me. And later that evening, in a dream, the angel of the Lord visits him and explains it all to him. And I, I love his opening words to Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. I love those words. I know that you're afraid. And I know that it is perplexing and confusing to you. And I know that there are a lot of things that you don't understand. And I'm not sure that you're going to understand it much better when I'm done. But don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was saying, Joseph, she was not unfaithful to you. This did not in any way, shape, or form involve the natural course of events in a a woman becoming pregnant. This is nothing like that at all. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And again, I know you don't understand it. And the reason he didn't understand it is because the Jewish mind was not considering this at all. They weren't looking for this at all. And he says, I know that you don't understand it, and I know that you're afraid, and I know that you're concerned, and I know that you're confused, but I just want you to remember, his name is going to be Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. Oh, and by the way, he's also Emmanuel, God with us. And it was in that moment that he was emboldened to do what in a moment ago he couldn't have done because now he knows God is with him. 
It, it, was, it was as if that, that angel was saying, I know, I know the confusion, I know the frustration, I know the fear that you're experiencing. As a father, you are naturally fearful for your wife and for your children. You're concerned about their future. And I know, Joseph, that you are afraid for your reputation and what it's going to do to your reputation to marry her, not really understanding everything yourself. And I know you're afraid for her reputation and even the reputation of a child that hasn't even been born yet. And I know that you're concerned about what you will have to endure, what she will have to endure in the future, what he will have to endure in the future. I know that it's all there, but lest your heart become overwhelmed with fear, I want you to remember, he is God with us. Man, (laughs) of all the ways that he could have been born God sent forth his only son into the world amidst controversy. That's why I love this story. It's so raw. You and I would have never chosen this. But God sent his son into controversy. He sent him into circumstances under which men and women would be forced to have faith and trust in God. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later and men and women are still struggling with the concept that Jesus was born of a virgin. I mean, why would he choose something that right out of the gate would make men and women push away from the story? I mean, why would he do that? Well, theologically, we know it was to unite the divine with the human so that Jesus could be the perfect mediator between man and God and the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. We know that theologically, in order for there to be a mediator that mediates between God and man, it would have to be the perfect combination of God and man. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, so that he could come to man and reveal God to to us, but that he could stand before God Almighty and intercede on our behalf, saying, I have been tempted at every point just like they are, and yet without sin, so that he could tell the Father what it's like to be tempted, so that he could tell the Father what it was like to walk in the earth in flesh and blood, skin, and say, I know what it's like. I've been there. I've gone through it. And intercede on our behalf in Jesus' mighty name. Yes, we get it theologically. We know that living a sinless life, he was able to offer his life as a sacrifice for you and I, that if we believe upon him, we would never perish and have everlasting life. And I'm thankful for that today in Jesus' name. How many of you are as well? Bless the Lord. That's theologically. Relationally. He came this way so that we would know And that we would be absolutely convinced that he is God with us. (laughs) That he is God with us in every season of life. That he is God with us in the most perplexing, devastating, confusing, and sometimes even the most controversial situations in life. He allowed even his reputation to be tarnished from the world's perspective just so that he could identify with those who've tarnished theirs. So maybe you're here this morning, and like Joseph, you had everything all laid out, all planned, all the the T's were crossed, all the I's were dotted. You put the down payment down, 
You sent out the invitations. You were ready to buy that house. I mean, everything was set up. You planned your future. You knew who you were going to marry, how many kids you were going to have, the house you were going to live in. It was all planned out and decorated better than anyone could have imagined. And then in one moment of time, news came and upended everything. It's amazing how many of you would say that in just one moment of time, your life came to a screeching halt. We all have had it. One phone call is all it takes. One text one email, one Facebook post can change your life. You lost your job. He asked for a divorce. She had an affair. The promotion that was promised to you was given to somebody else. Everything changed. Mom and dad wrote you out. Your children wrote you off. And you know in that one brief moment of time, things changed, and it will never be exactly what you thought it would be. That's what Joseph, after a year of planning, getting everything in order, he realizes, now all of my plans are gone, and I have to adapt to the way things are now. Maybe you're here today and you feel betrayed. Maybe you feel confused let down by the closest people around you. Maybe you've damaged your reputation or maybe your reputation has been damaged because you've chosen to follow the Lord. We would love to believe that every time we follow the Lord, it's going to make us look good. How many of you know that's just not always the way it's going to be? You know, I want to make sure that I approach this very delicately. Listen to me today. You know that there was nothing about this story that was unholy, unlawful, or illegal. This was all pure in the eyes of God. Even how she conceived was nothing like the ancient Greek mythology. It was not. The Holy Spirit just simply moved upon her and created life. There was nothing sexual at all. There was nothing wicked. But let's be honest, folks. The overwhelming majority of people, in fact, I think it's safe to say no one initially accepted this situation as it was presented to them. No one. Am I the only one that, that thinks it's a little strange that the Bible doesn't even go into Mary having this conversation with her mother and father? Or Joseph trying to sit down with his mother and father and explain to them. How many people really believe when Mary went around and said, yes, I'm pregnant, but I have never had a relationship with a man? It was by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Mary, okay. I mean, we're not being disrespectful. I mean, that is the reality. No one initially believed this story. And I don't know how many did in the future. Historians tell us that at that time there was even a rumor circulating in that region that Mary had become pregnant from an adulterous relationship that she was having with a Roman soldier. 
Many of you know that even when Jesus was an adult, the religious leaders accused him of being illegitimate. Even saying, at least we know who our father is. (laughs) This is the son of God. (laughs) This is the son of God. No sin. Holy. For eternity. And yet he comes into a situation where his very reputation is called into question. Why would he do that? I mean, why would he do that? Can, can I just tell you this? I think puppies are adorable. Anybody else like me? I, I think puppies are adorable. Some dogs grow up and they're adorable too. But, you know, they're, they're adorable. And, and kitties, I, I think kittens are cute. I think squirrels are cute. I do. I I just think they're cute. They're a nuisance, but they're cute, okay? I even had a run-in with a a groundhog this summer. There was a groundhog terrorizing our neighborhood. And I finally called an expert. Brian Shamelia came in. And one morning I got up, and he was in the trap. And I took pictures of him. Tore up my ground, but he was cute. I mean, I got to be honest. I mean, just I think animals are really cute. But I can guarantee you this, never wanted to be a dog. Never wanted to be an animal. Never wanted to be a squirrel. Never prayed that God would make me an animal. Do you see what they eat? Do you see what they do? I mean, I, I would never want to be an animal. I'm perfectly content being on the top of the food chain. I'm, I'm perfectly content being a human Why would the eternal, everlasting Son of God, the heavens are His throne, the earth is His footstool, why would the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, why would He want to be a man? What would ever make him look from heaven and say, I want to be like one of them. To be God with us. To show us that there is nothing that would make him love us less. Nothing that would repulse him so much that he would not draw near. So that he could cry with us. So that he could laugh with us so that he could identify with every one of our struggles, and so that we would know that even when we feel all alone, he is still with us. And we take great hope in this, that if he was with Joseph and Mary, then maybe he is with us today. And my prayer throughout this whole Christmas season, well, you can come. Just don't play right yet. Just come and just be still. My prayer is that you would not become so rushed in this Christmas season that you forget that God is with you in every season of your life. I don't know if you ever gave this any thought, and it just hit me the other day. But at the commencement of his earthly journey, the word went out. He is Emmanuel, 
God with us. Fast forward 33 and a half years later. He's ready to ascend to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And at his benediction of his journey, he turns to his disciples and his last words were, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. I'm going to tell you, he is God with you when you were born. And he'll be God with you until you die. He is God with us today. In Jesus' name, bless the Lord. If you know this old song, would you sing it with me? Amen.